Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, overseeing our toxic phase one program and co-director of sarcoma care at Cleveland Clinic. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Brian Hill, director of the Lymphoid Malignancies Program and the Cleveland Clinic Tossig Cancer Institute. He's here today to talk to us about research from the recent American Society of Hematology meeting on biomarkers predicting outcomes of CAR T cell therapy in patients with diverse large B cell lymphoma. So welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So maybe to start, tell us a little bit about what you do here at Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, so um, my role here, as you pointed out, is the director of lymphoid malignancies. So I'm a physician uh, who sees patients with uh, lymphoma, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, and related conditions. Uh, So I see and treat patients and also um, perform clinical and translational research in uh, in those diseases. Excellent. So we're going to talk today about the research that you presented at the recent ASH meeting. Um, looking at biomarkers and CAR T-cell therapies. So tell us a little bit about the background and and what was the question you were trying to answer? Yeah, so um, for the most common lymphoma that uh, we see, which is called diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, uh, this actually represents not a single disease, but probably multiple different sort of subtypes that we've learned uh, based on advanced molecular profiling over the past several years. The treatment for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in 2022 remains the same treatment um, that we've had for the past 20 years or so, which is a a cocktail of uh, chemotherapy drugs and an antibody that combine uh, together is called RCHOP. And that hasn't changed for a long time, despite multiple attempts to improve upon the outcomes. What has changed in the management of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is how we treat or manage patients who relapse. So we we probably cure about 70% of patients with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma with our CHOP, which means another 30% or so uh, are not gonna be cured. And in that scenario, there's a few different approaches to management, um, including high-dose chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplant historically, um, or more recently, uh, CAR T-cell therapy. If you uh, haven't heard of CAR T-cell therapy yet, this refers to um, chimeric antigen receptors that uh, are conferred upon the patient's own T-cells in a laboratory. So uh, T-cells are collected via leukapheresis and uh, ex vivo uh, or in the lab are uh, manipulated manipulated with a uh, lentiviral vector to uh, encode a gene that um, recognizes um, a B-cell target. Um, in this case, CD19. Uh, those cells are then reinfused to the patient after lymphodepleting chemotherapy, and this redirects the patient's own T cells to recognize and destroy B cell malignant cells. And even though it sort of sounds a little bit like science fiction, this is now a 
pretty standard of care for uh, third line and eventually probably will become second line treatment for DLBCL. So your particular trial was looking at biomarkers related to this treatment. So tell us a little bit about that. So what we um, notice with CAR T-cell treatment is it works very well in many patients, but like many cancer therapies, it doesn't work in everyone. And there are probably many reasons for the failure of CAR T-cell treatment to work. One of the reasons it may not work may be just simply that the, uh, the lymph nodes and the tumor bulk is too big, it, or other reasons may be the T-cells that were collected were not very healthy at the time that the CAR T-cells were manufactured um, and so forth. But what hasn't uh, really been extensively uh, investigated is the role of the actual tumor biology in um, resistance or sensitivity to uh, CAR T-cell therapy. So our project that I worked uh, closely with a collaborator at Duke University, Dr. Uh, Sandeep Dave involved the collection of clinical specimens from biopsies of over 100 patients with diffuse B-cell lymphoma that had relapsed and then undergone subsequent treatment with CAR T-cell therapy. And we um, subjected the specimens to um, whole exome sequencing, gene expression profiling, and chromosome copy number alteration. And what we learned from this is that the subgroups of patients with diffuse arch B-cell lymphoma that are seen in the, in the sort of front line and, and have different outcomes with our CHOP have various representations in the, in the relapse setting. Interestingly enough, there's about five of these subgroups that are called cluster one, two, three, four, or five. And there's another nomenclature. Um, but suffice it to say that some of the uh, high-risk clusters or, or groups, including uh, a group that's uh, characterized by P53 mutation, um, actually, which normally has very poor outcomes with standard RCHOP therapy, had favorable outcomes with CAR T-cell treatment. And so what we sort of conclude from this is that some of the molecular features that confer poor outcomes to treatment with standard chemotherapy are different from the molecular features that confer favorable or unfavorable outcomes with uh, adoptive cellular therapy. So could this potentially mean that there are patients who should not start with RCHOP and that maybe people should have this molecular testing up front and choose therapies based on that? That's a great question that is being actively explored. Um, one of the challenges with doing this sort of sophisticated level of molecular analysis is that it's uh, right now mostly a research tool. Uh, we don't have a, a, a clinically available test that we can order that to give us the subgroup of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, we can tell whether it's a germinal center or an activated B-cell subtype with some uh, crude sort of immunohistochemistry stains, but it's not very precise. Um, so I think going forward, uh, it's very likely that there will be attempts to pick the treatment specific based on the subtype or cluster of the diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and then test this in a prospective fashion. Uh, but those type of efforts are going to take time and resources to complete, but such trials are in the development and planning stage already. And you said that this CAR T cell therapy is oftentimes a, a third-line therapy. 
what might make that move earlier into to treatment? Yeah, so that's a very, very good question. A lot of uh, excitement came with the FDA approval of uh, multiple different CAR T-cell products for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and other lymphomas. And as we uh, alluded to, it's really has been used for patients who've already gone through an autologous transplant uh, or patients who are not really eligible for an autologous transplant, usually because their disease is not you know, controlled well from it's not sensitive enough to chemotherapy to justify high-dose chemotherapy. And so at this year's ASH meeting, we did see actually three um, clinical trials were reported with each of the three CAR T-cell products. And these were all randomized phase three trials that um, compared standard of care therapy with uh, CAR T-cell treatment. And actually, the two of the three studies were uh, positive, published in the New England Journal of Medicine recently and presented at uh, high-profile sessions at the meeting. And what they showed is that uh, patients with early relapse after standard therapy of with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma uh, had better uh, outcomes judged by event-free survival and probably overall survival if they go straight to CAR T-cell therapy rather than getting what we call second line or salvage treatment followed by uh, with an intent to, to go to autologous stem cell transplant. So too often um, sort of what people particularly when they're treating a, a wide range of diseases or they're not really covering an area, um, the headlines sort of what people remember. So, you know, new drug comes out and we think it's more active than it probably ends up being or, you know, particular CAR T cell therapies as they were being developed, there was a lot of concern about toxicity. And so mm-hmm. um, can you maybe give us an update on kind of what that toxicity is of CAR T cells in reality? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it's it's not for everyone. Certainly, uh, age and performance status, comorbidities, uh, functional age, all can play into whether someone uh, can receive CAR T cell treatment. Um, it frequently requires a hospitalization of ten to fourteen days, which is shorter than a, uh, a transplant. But there are still significant toxicities depending on the product, and those the main toxicities include cytokine release syndrome which is characterized by fever, hypotension, hypoxia, sometimes significant cardiopulmonary instability requiring ICU stay, and the potential for uh, neurotoxicity, which is sort of an encephalopathy, confusion, aphasia, which is reversible, but still can be very sort of concerning, uh, disconcerting to to family members particularly. Um, So, some of the newer products have lower rates of cytokine release syndrome and lower rates of neurotoxicity, but they're not zero. Uh, what I would say is that there's been a tremendously rapid learning curve from sites like ours that have been doing CAR T cells for about five years now through clinical trials and standard care. And we're, I think we're better at patient selection, but also much better at uh, management and much more preemptive with abrogating therapies that can minimize the, the likelihood of developing high-grade complications, and such as IL-6 monoclonal antibody tocilizumab or siltuximab, and actually glucocorticoids or just plain old steroids are very effective at, at sort of eliminating cytokine release syndrome and treating neurotoxicity. So the biomarker work that you are, are sort of developing 
to select patients is really important because it sounds like these are very, very likely to be active, but then there's also toxicity. So patient selection sounds like a really big, big deal here. Yeah, I, th I, I do think um, there will be a day when we use biomarkers. Um, we're not quite there for you know, prime time, but it's, a, it's an, an exciting period of time that um, we may be able to use these tools to select better treatments for our patients. And, and I guess just to clarify, from a biomarker standpoint, there are cases where, in the solid tumor world, where checkpoint inhibitors, for instance, uh, in some situations, they just don't work, and mm -hmm. it's not worth pursuing. So mm -hmm. with, when, with your study with the biomarkers, did you find that some patients might benefit more than others, or it's just kind of a deal breaker and it's not worth doing? Well, we did find some particular mutations in some uh, genes, cyclin-dependent kinases and other regula regulators that if you had a mutation in any one of those, your outcomes were very poor with CAR T-cell therapy. What I would uh, caution with those type of findings is that we really need uh, to validate this before we roll it out. Um, and so we're looking to uh, examine these markers in a um, larger number of cases and get this published um, in the upcoming year. So this focused on diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Is, this, uh, is there similar work being done in other types of lymphomas? Yeah, most likely there will be. The second disease that was approved was mantle cell lymphoma, which is uh, in some ways a more difficult disease uh, to manage over the long haul because it typically has a relentless pattern of relapse. It's also much less common as opposed to being, you know, 30%. It's only about 8% of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So there's far fewer patients with this and far fewer getting CAR T-cell. So it may be more difficult to, to do biomarker or molecular studies of those biopsies. But with time, I suspect we or other groups will, will explore that in detail. So while we have the opportunity to get some insight, what, what, are the, what are the things on the horizon you're most excited about? And what do you think are the biggest gaps still in treating this disease? Yeah, so for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, we do have um, a, a recent phase three trial also presented at the ASH meeting that finally uh, maybe moving the needle a little bit, improving upon our CHOP, which includes an antibody drug conjugate, polotuzumab vedotin, which targets CD79B. It's a B-cell receptor component. That uh, randomized phase three trial was positive. There was about a 6% improvement in progression-free survival at two years by uh, substitution of incristine in the R-CHOP backbone with polotuzumab. And so this is not an approved regimen yet. I suspect we'll be hearing from regulatory bodies in the upcoming year. And so we finally might be moving the needle a little bit on treatment, um, which can reduce the number of patients who need subsequent therapies and relapse. And then in that setting, when we do have relapse, uh, moving CAR T cells earlier in lines of therapy, I think is going to be overall good for patients. What do you think are the the biggest questions that are still unanswered? Well, in, in the CAR-T space, you know, we, um, we still think that in the relapse setting, autologous stem cell transplant can cure somewhere around 40 to 50% of patients who receive uh, a transplant, an autotransplant. And the way the studies were designed, we didn't quite see 
good outcomes with the patients who were uh, randomized to receive standard of care because many of them were refractory to frontline therapy and uh, didn't respond to second or salvage treatment. So going forward for patients who are not refractory but have later relapses, um, I, I do think that there's still probably a role in, in those patients who have chemosensitive lymphoma to undergo autologous stem cell transplant. And we just don't have enough good comparative data yet to compare uh, the outcomes of CAR T-cell treatment. If, For instance, if you get a remission with your second-line therapy, are you better off going to CAR T-cell or are you better off doing autotransplant? And I think that's right now a big unanswered question. Great insights today. Any additional thoughts? No, uh, I'm very impressed by the level of questioning from a non-malignant hematologist, Dr. Shepard. Your, your range of uh, understanding of the field is uh, very impressive. Well, you are too kind. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for being with us today. Thank you for having me. To make a direct online referral to our Tossic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.